Lord, you are the light of the world. Whoever follows you need not walk in darkness because they have and know the light. May we never tire of sharing that light. May we never fail to look for that light in our times of darkness. May we be the light that points others to the source of our light and our salvation. And as we now open your word, a light for our feet and for our path, shine your light brightly on us that we may see the truth that you would have revealed to us today. Through your word and through the movement of the Holy Spirit, grace us with understanding, empower us with truth, bless us with your presence, and move in our hearts. Amen. As I grab my uh, clicker here this morning, we are continuing on a series about the parables. And as we put the scripture up here on the screen today, I invite you to follow along. Our scripture comes from Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. It is the parable of the bags of gold. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, You entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you know that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. People of God, this is the word of the Lord. A little bit of a tough verse to follow with thankfulness there, but important that we recognize that. 
Over the past few weeks, we've been exploring the parables, stories that are told by Jesus and illustrate how his listeners should be living their lives with eternity in mind. And each one of those stories is a window into the kingdom of God. In week one, we heard about the importance of building your life on a good foundation. So when the storms of life come, your footing is secure. Are we building our lives on something that is firm, like a rock, or something unstable, like the shifting sands? The next week we heard about the seeds and various stories about the seeds, which are the good news of the gospel. And when they are sown by those who possess the truth, God's promises take root in some, but not in all. Whether it grows or not is dependent on the condition of the hearer's hearts, something that is an internal factor. And there may be other external threats as well, like evils and distractions around them. Then last week we considered the weeds that are growing amongst those seeds, the bad that live amongst the good. And it's not just those who are on the wrong side of the coming judgment, but perhaps those who are actively working against the kingdom. And we considered our call to be agents of reconciliation in this world, to be people that reach out with what we have been given, with the knowledge that we have, so that others may hear the truth and that they may live in that same confidence that we have in the joy that awaits us in eternity. And today is also about what we do with the time that we have been given. What are we going to do between now and the time the Lord calls us home or the time that he returns? It's about stewardship with what we have been handed and what we do with what we have been given. So I'm going to walk through the passage today based on these six phrases directly from the text. And they are six phrases that can be paired three times. So the first two are about what the master leaves with his servants. He entrusts his wealth to them. And we hear that each was given according to their ability. And then the next two phrases are about what happens when he leaves. Two of the servants go at once, as we heard in the text, and they begin working with what he entrusted them with. And the third one does not. And then the master returns, and we see in those bottom two, he sees what they have done in his absence, and he praises those who have been faithful, and he is not happy with the unfaithful servant. So the wording in this parable has been updated and is presented in a more modern language, which spoils a bit of the first reveal. The most recent iteration of the NIV translation, which is the one that is most prominent in this church and the one that is in the racks and the pews in front of you, says that this parable is titled The Parable of the Bags of Gold, and that helps us to see the value of what is left with these three servants. And I trust that you would be very excited if somebody handed you today a bag of gold, yes? What about two bags or five bags? Now, when I was younger, in my Bible, it was titled The Parable of the Talents, and that's what the Bible that I still use as my primary Bible, the one that Mrs. Brower gave me in third grade and asked and encouraged us to read it faithfully says. It's the parable of the talents. So what is a talent? 
In our modern-day vocabulary, our mind likely goes quickly to the skills that we have, those natural gifts that we are blessed with, and the things that we are good at. And in that way, this parable could be about the ways that God wires each of us differently and how we can use those gifts and those skills that we have, those talents, to expand and build his kingdom. How much are your personal talents worth? Not in a sense of going on America's Got Talent and winning some prize, and not even in a more likely scenario that you would use your natural gifts, the things that you are drawn to, the things that you are good at, and that you would build a career on those things. It's not about financial value, but what is the worth of your personal gifts in glorifying God? How would you use the way that you are for reaching others and building a witness in this world? Are your personal gifts and skills and talents as valuable as a bag of gold? The talents that God gives to you and gives to me are to be utilized for outcomes that would multiply his glory in this world, that he would be glorified in the things that we do and that we would not waste those gifts that he has given us. But this story is not about good use of those skills. That's not a bad lesson, and I would support that sentiment, but those talents are not these talents. And with the updated language that says the bags of gold, it might also prompt us to think that this is a financial story, that this would be about using your earthly gains and your financial resources for more eternal purposes and eternal gains. You would earn money and you would use it to further the kingdom or you would invest your money into things that would multiply his word in this world. And that again is a very appropriate lesson and a good way to approach your finances, but it is not the focus of this passage. It is wise though to investigate the financial value of what a biblical talent is. It's one of the key elements of this lesson. And a talent here is not a skill, but it is a denomination of financial value. A talent was a measurement of various weights of different metals that different countries and different empires would use as currency. So it may be gold, as we hear in the passage, or it may be silver or some other, mess, uh, or some other metal that they would use as currency. And not every country or not every group would use the same metal or they would not use the same weight or measurement of that metal, but it was substantial. To say that you were given a talent would be at that time the highest unit of currency in that area. If you told me as a third grader when I received that Bible from Mrs. Brower that one man received five talents and another two and another one, that doesn't seem like that big of a gap. And in my mind, when I'm thinking of money at that age, I'm thinking, well, one guy was given $1, and one was given $2, and one was given $5. Just how much money, just how much value did this master drop into the laps of these three servants? A single talent weighed approximately 70 pounds. So that's not exactly pocket change. Not one of those or five of those would you be able to put and carry in your pockets. So I looked up what 70 pounds of gold would be worth today. Any ideas? Shout up random huge numbers, because it's big. (laughs) 
80,000. I'm going to feel like an auctioneer up here. Do I hear more? Anybody want to go higher than that? 25 million. Now we're a little out of control. <laughs> I told you to go big. It's about $2 million. So each talent he gives, even the man who received the least, equivalent to today's dollars, and now that's me Googling and using different charts and different calculations, but a lot, right? Many of the sources that I looked at agreed that it was worth about 6,000 days worth of wages. The amount that you would make in 20 years. So even the man who received the least was just given 20 years worth of income. The man who received the most received what he could have made in a hundred years working for this master. So a significant value. And this story is not about money management, but I'm sure God again is interested in how you would choose to use whatever value, whatever income or wages that he would gift you with to build his kingdom and not yours. So again, good questions there, but the extraordinary gift, though it is money in this example or something of financial value, is not really what Jesus is pointing us towards. The gift of extraordinary value that he has given to all of us, regardless of our talents and skills, or regardless of our level of income, the amount of money that we might have in our pocket or our bank account, is his grace and the gift of salvation, and the knowledge that we have about his kingdom. And the value of that gift is greater than any of those other things that you could have. Anything that you could amass over a lifetime financially, or any skill that you may naturally have or develop. The true value of that gift is what awaits us in the end. So this second phrase we heard that each was given according to his ability. Now, each of us is in a different financial situation. Each of us has different skills, and we may look at our neighbor or we may look at a friend and say that those have not been distributed equally in our eyes. We may have more than some and less than others. Romans 12, verses 6 through 8, the Apostle Paul, speaking to his audience, says this, We have different gifts. According to the grace that has been given to each of us, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Whatever your gifts are, whatever he has given you, use them. And then Peter says in one of his letters, if anyone speaks... They should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Those words come from 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. So again, when you use your gifts, use them for God. And then Paul, again, in his letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 10, says, We are God's handiwork. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, and God has prepared them and us in advance to do those things. So know that these gifts that we have and the opportunities that we have are not accidental. 
And with the strength that God gives us and the knowledge that we have and the Holy Spirit that is in us, we are prepared in his name to go do anything that he may call us to do. And that is what the first two servants do. We see that they went at once. They went immediately, not even giving instructions. They knew what they were supposed to do. They knew that they were supposed to take what the master had given them and go to work. They understood the expectation. They were stewards of the master's wealth. And stewardship is about taking care of something on behalf of someone else. It is not your own. It is given for you to manage and to manage wisely. And that's a good perspective that we could take if we looked at our financial gifts or we looked at the talents that we have, that we are stewards of these things that God gives us for whatever period of time that we are given, and we are to use them wisely. That suggests that whatever we have in our possession is his. And like a steward that would manage someone else's money or someone else's household, we would be wise to do well with what the master has given us. So these first two servants go to work and they utilize the things that they have been handed. And we don't know what they do, but we read in the story that they have, when he comes back, double what he left them. They went out there and multiplied that treasure that they were given. The wealth expands, and two becomes four, and five becomes ten. Their understanding was that they, they were supposed to take what the master gave them and do something with it. So I looked up a, a variety of passages. What are we called to do while we are here? 1 Peter 4.10, we use the gifts that we have received to serve each other. Mark 12, verse 30, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Micah 6.8 calls us to do justice, to love mercy and walk humbly with our God. In Deuteronomy 14.29 says we are to look after the orphans, the widows, the immigrants, and the poor. We are to give our attention and our care to all of those who have great need. Matthew 28, verse 19, the Great Commission calls us to go out there and make disciples of all nations. And then some encouragement, Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord. And Galatians 6, verse 9, do not grow weary of doing good. That we are to go out and take what we have received and like those first two servants, go into our world, and multiply what God has given us. Is that what the third servant did? He did not. He dug a hole in the ground, took what he had been given, and he hid it while the master was gone. He had to understand the significance of what was handed to him, right? That bag of gold, that measurement of a talent in that time, the value of what he had, but he buries his opportunity to respond in faithfulness. He takes no risks. He doesn't diminish his value, but when the master comes back, he has gained nothing either. And then he hands it back to the master with excuses. Going back for a moment to those first two servants, they bore fruit with what he had given them. The fruit of our lives and the result of our works is not what saves us. And we are not measured unworthy or worthy of salvation because of the volume of the things that we might do. But it is God's expectation that when he hands us something of great value, 
that we will use it to bear fruit. So servants one and two put what they have been given to good work. They make wise use of their time and that treasure, and we see the master's joy in the fruits of their labor. He says to them, well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful with a few things, which is interesting now that we know the value of what he gave them. He called that a few things, and he would give them more things for them to be doing. They have responded in a way that aligns with what he expected of them. They multiplied it, and he is going to give them even more. And notice, he's going to give them even more responsibility. It's not that they get a reward for what they did, but he gives them more responsibility. He will allow them to manage even more of his wealth, even more of the treasure that he has given them. They have been faithful, and he will give them more. So what does it mean to be faithful? The parables give us many examples of the way that we are supposed to be living in expectation of his return and working diligently while we wait. And when judgment comes, as it does at the end of many of those parables, the time to demonstrate that we are willing to be faithful has come to an end. We need to be doing those things while the master is away and before he returns. We don't want to be caught with our treasure buried in the ground. We are to be out there bearing fruit. And the first two servants are commended for that, for doing just that, for being faithful, not for being successful, for being loyal and obedient in his absence. To hear the kingdom message and to receive that seed and that privilege that comes with it comes with responsibility. When we give our hearts to God and we proclaim that he is our Savior and he is our Lord, it comes with a call to bear fruit. If he is the vine and we are the branches, we bear fruit. Will we also be held accountable for the gifts that we have? The answer is yes. Because that third servant, when he returns, when he is not faithful, he hears these words. He is called a wicked and lazy servant. He is called worthless. So if we bury our treasure in the ground and we are non-participants in the mission of God's kingdom and his call on his people and on his church, we might be seen as the same. The third servant is called wicked and lazy and worthless for making no use of that gift that he was given. And he is cast out then into the darkness. And what he had been given originally is given to someone that the Lord sees as willing to act on what he was given. Matthew 7, verses 15 through 23, warn us that not all who call on the name of God, not all who acknowledge him as Savior and Lord, are going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Only the ones who do the will of the Father. We hear in that section, too, that good trees bear good fruit, and if they do not bear good fruit, they are cut down. They are seen as worthless. The verses that follow today's parable in Matthew 25 is the section, the sheep and the goats, and many of us are very familiar with that passage. Some of the believers do not take the opportunity to feed and to clothe those who are in need, and God essentially says to them, that was your opportunity to serve me, and you walked on by. 
And there are consequences in that story as well for their inaction. We are recognized by our fruit, and that third servant did not bear fruit, and he was judged for his failure to do so. Did the master accept his excuses? In the sheep and the goats illustration, does the king accept their excuses? And does God accept our excuses for why we would not be faithful? The, ser the third servant never embraced the life-changing responsibility that came with the treasure that he had been handed. His response was inadequate, and it was incomplete, and he is found unfaithful. We are not meant to keep that treasure for ourselves. We are not meant to waste what has been given to us. We are to respond, to risk, and to invest in the master's kingdom, to be active participants. So what will the master find is true of what you have done with what he has given you when he returns? Like each of the servants in this parable, each of us and collectively as the church, we have been entrusted with something that is of substantial value. Each of us has been given something in accordance with our abilities, and we are called to multiply it. Will he one day say to us, Well done, my good and faithful servants. You have been faithful with a little. I will entrust you with much. Will he trust you with more because you have been faithful with what you have been given in this time? The common thing that we all have, the common thing that we all have that is of extreme value that we have been given is our salvation. And it is his grace. And it is the knowledge of who he is and what he has done and what he is doing. And true faith means that inevitably our faith will express that. That we will be going to work for the master and sharing those things with others. Not being complacent, not being fearful, being courageous, and trusting that God will provide everything that we need to be faithful. That he will bless the effort through the Holy Spirit that we put into serving him. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 8, each one will receive his own reward according to his labor. Again, not the results but the effort, a demonstration that our faith shows true faith. May the master find each of us faithful. Join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you today for the gift of salvation, and we thank you for your grace. May we live not just in gratitude, but in faithful response to this thing of great value that you have given us. Bless not only with the gift of salvation, but the power of the Holy Spirit. May we courageously live for you. May we boldly speak of your love, the truth of your word, and your promise to those who would recognize you as Savior and Lord. Let us not hide this wonderful gift, but recognize the incredible treasure that is ours in you, seeking to serve you as your witnesses, laboring for your kingdom here and yet to come. For this privilege, we thank you today for that invaluable gift. We praise your name and seek to glorify you. Amen.